preaching from a little later. It's uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. So if you've got your Bibles there, then you might like to turn to that. Acts, Acts chapter 2, 1 to 13. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blow, the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were many, uh, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you tonight and we just uh, want to praise you, Lord. We long, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our ears, that you would enable us by your spirit to really seek you tonight, to really seek you, Lord Jesus. Father God, we... Um, want to bring before you Pete and Deb and the Taylor family, Laura and Taylor, the Smith family. And we just uh, commit them to your care, Lord, and pray your blessing on their life as they move to Aubrey Baps. May you uh, bring about your kingdom through their ministry over there. And Father God, we give you thanks for the, uh, the, the things that go on in our church that seek to connect people to you, Lord Jesus, for the regressive dinner, for... Um, the state youth games for small groups that happen, Lord, for um, baptism and membership classes, for so many different things. And Lord God, we pray that all that we do here would be glorifying to you. Uh, it would point people in the direction of how they can relate to the creator of the universe and the lover of our souls. Father God, we commit the rest of the service to you and ask that you would speak to us. Speak to us. Um, so that we may know you deeper and live more for the praise of your name. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I wonder um, if you agree with me. One of the saddest things I find is meeting people who have found life um, really tough going and they find themselves in life in a situation where they have very few people that are close to them. And often, as I've met some people like that, I find there's either a real strong, you know, kind of anger within them that kind of pushes people away from them. Anyone who wants to get close, they kind of hurt. 
or maybe there's a deep unforgiveness and um, really in their life, people find it very hard to get close to them because of just the woundedness, the anger, the, the hurt that's still inside these people. And uh, I think that's kind of what sin does, doesn't it, in our lives. It can push people away from us. If we keep hurting people, if we keep uh, being horrible to the people that we love, then relationships break down and we find ourselves really in a tough place. I know at home when things get really bad uh, with the kids, I'll say, right, that's it. Go to your room. And, you know, don't even have to lay a finger on the kids, but going to their room is just so much pain. You know, kids want to be with the rest of the family. And they find it really hard to go to their room and shut the door and be by themselves because there's a, a separation, there's a isolation. They know they're not, they haven't done right and they have to sit away from the rest of the family. And I think that's a bit like uh, what happens between us and God. When we do things that cause uh, sinful things in our life, when we, when we just do what human beings do, and live in ways that hurt God and turn away from him. It's like God almost says, go to your room. But it's not because he's a mean or nasty father. It's because he's a holy God. And sin, the dark blackness of sin and the holiness of God don't go together. He's above all. Jesus is above all. He's, uh, there's nothing else that compares to Jesus. This morning we looked at Colossians where Paul says he's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He's supreme. And the passage goes on a little bit later on. And Paul just tells us of the terrible thing that had happened to us and has happened to all people that are far from God. It says, once you were alienated from God, you were enemies. You were uh, far from him, his enemies. You were enemies in your mind because of your evil behaviour. But now... God has reconciled you. You've been reconciled by Christ's physical body through his death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. It's good news, isn't it? Sometimes the kids sort of slink out from the room, say, I'm sorry. Well, if this is true, sinful people can boldly walk out of their room with their heads held high and say, although I'm guilty, I'm completely forgiven. There can be no accusation. I'm without blemish. I'm holy in God's sight. Why? Not through anything we've done but all because of the one who is above all and what he's done on the cross. So when we come 
around this table, we remember that in his body on the cross, as he died, he took upon your sin and he took upon my sin. And those who believe in Jesus Christ, who trust in him as their Lord and Saviour, take part in this meal with great, great thanks because we're thankful of what Jesus has done for us. You know, if you don't know what Jesus has done for you and if you haven't asked him to be your Lord and Saviour and if you haven't said, oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying in my place, then this meal carries no significance for you as yet. Hopefully it will soon. And it's just quite appropriate to let it go by. You know, that's fine. But if you've made him Lord of your life, if you've responded, we're going to eat this meal together. So as we come to share in this, let's pray. And Mason's going to lead us in prayer. Above all uh, kingdoms, above all rule, above all nature, above all created things, we've just sung, you were there. You were there when everything was created and everything finds its, its existence in you. And yet, Lord, we see that uh, your creation turns on you. And in probably one of the most hideous moments in, in history, one of the most venomous um, actions towards our Creator, we put you up on a cross and we crucify you. In the hands that... Uh, that made this world for us to live in in communion with you now find themselves nailed to a cross. And I hear the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Called out by Jesus on the cross. And I think, why has he, forsa- why has he been forsaken? And you have forsaken, Lord, for me. If you hadn't have taken my sin, if you hadn't have chosen to come and bear the sin of the world that separates us from God, then I would still be separate from you. Lord, I just want to say thank you for that. And we turn it into a song and we sing crucify, laid behind the stone. Yet it just means so much more. I just want to say thank you for all that you've done. And we remember that, Lord, we, as, we, as we eat the bread and we, and we drink the, the juice and that, and we just... I want to take a moment to just to say thank you and to say that we love you because you loved us and your love brought you to this earth, Lord, to, to die for us. Paul said when he was explaining this meal, He said, uh, for I received from the Lord. Paul had received this from from the Lord. What I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup, is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You're going to be served now. And as you're served, we're just going to give you a little piece of bread and and the cup as well. And we just invite you to um, take and eat the bread. And as you eat, give thanks that Christ died for you personally. And hold on to your drink. And at the end, we'll all drink together to signify that you're not a lone ranger. When Christ became your Lord, he placed you in his church. And we'll drink together to show the unity, the oneness we have in Christ, in Christ alone. So let's share in this meal together. My favourite things in life is uh, being on the beach at Lawn in Victoria, uh, sort of past along on the Great Ocean Road. And especially on cold days like this, I often think about Lawn. Um, The favourite thing for me to do is actually to be right in the water where the big waves are and to um, just try and catch a wave. And every now and again, um, I'll catch a really great one. Um, I I love it especially when I sort of don't know where my head and my legs are in relation to the ground, you know. And uh, I sort of get sand in my ears and uh, um, sometimes I just find myself totally lost for where I am after a big wave has just picked me up and thrown me in and dumped me over and it's almost like I get out of the water and say, well, you won, you know, the strength of the wave. The strength of its power is overwhelming um, at Lawn Beach and I just love it, realising how small I am compared to the power of this wave. You know, today I think that there's a real yearning in people People who actually know Jesus, who believe that he came, that he rose, that he was taken up to heaven. I think there's a yearning amongst people who believe in Jesus to just long to live day by day with the power of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. Many people, I think, say, oh, Boy, I find it hard to live, allowing the Holy Spirit to reign in my life, to give the Holy Spirit uh, permission to reign and to rule and to lead me in everything. Well, tonight we're going to be looking together at Pentecost, what actually happened on that day. And uh, you know, tonight, uh, at the end of this message, we, we're just going to have a song and you can reflect while that's being sung, and you know, we're just going to invite you to pray, Holy Spirit, just like that big wave, empower me, fill me. Um, may your presence be just known in my life. May I know your presence, Holy Spirit. The text tonight actually starts in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, and it says, When the day of Pentecost came, They were all together in one place. Now, the word Pentecost that's used there actually means 50th. So the text could actually read like this. On the day of 50th. That's what it means, literally. 
And William Barclay explains that in uh, this time there were three great festivals that were held and every Jewish male who lived within 20 miles of Jerusalem uh, would be bound by Jewish law to attend uh, these festivals. And the first was the Passover and uh, the second was Pentecost and the third was the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, another name for Pentecost was the Feast of Weeks. So it'd be like Phil and Michelle and little Benjamin getting together and having tea together. The Feast of the Weeks. It wasn't really like that. The reason it was called the Feast of Weeks was because what happened, you know, there's seven days in a week, right? But the Feast of Weeks was a feast that sort of lasted, um, uh, that occurred at the end of a week of weeks. So that's seven weeks. Seven, so for every day in the week, there was a, a week. So seven weeks, that's so 49 days in total. And at the end of a week of weeks was the 50th day. And that was the day of Pentecost. After a week of weeks, on the 50th day, Pentecost occurred. Therefore, uh, Pentecost uh, fell in the middle of June. And that's when it happened. And by that time, the weather conditions were just fabulous. Um, it, it, it was prime time for people to get out and go to these festivals. And in Jerusalem, um, it was sunny skies all around at the time of Pentecost. See, the, the most uh, attended festival was the Passover meal, uh, the Passover festival. And what would happen is many people would come and they'd be able to attend that. And then after the uh, 50 days, there'd still be many people that would be around. And because the weather was getting particularly great, at Pentecost, numbers would swell for this festival. And people who were bound to come came. And so Jerusalem would have been just filled, filled with people at this time. Some people would say that up to a million people were at Jerusalem at this time in Acts chapter 2. And uh, later on in the, in the passage, we, 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 we're going to read kind of the people that are there, uh, you know, from all over the world had come, uh, from all different places had come for the Feast of Pentecost. So I wonder what, what kind of significance does Pentecost have? Uh, there were two things in particular that were of real significance about Pentecost for uh, the people that were celebrating it. The first was that it was a historically significant event. Because in intertestimonial times, in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, what happened was that Jewish people had come to celebrate on the day of Pentecost the giving of the law of Moses on Mount Sinai. So uh, when Moses received the law on Mount Sinai, Pentecost actually became a day when the Jews had linked it with remembering um, this, this event, the Ten Commandments given on that mountain. So it had an incredible historical significance. Every year now, uh, Jews were, were gathering together and, and, and giving thanks to God for the law. But it also had another significance, not just historical, it was also had an agri agricultural significance as well. And the Passover, um, the first omer of barley was offered to God. And at Pentecost, 
two loaves were actually gathered together and were offered to God. And the people were thanking God and praising God because of the harvest that had happened and now was now completed. And they'd sort of gathered in the harvest and they'd made these loaves and would present them to God at Pentecost. So a huge significance is underlying the text as we see those two historical and agricultural things which occurred on this day as well. And it's interesting as we look at these underlying things, but we shouldn't read too much in it because Luke doesn't actually draw our attention to it. But I think it's incredible that on the day, the coming of the Holy Spirit to live in the lives of believers comes on the day of Pentecost. God chooses to pour out his spirit into people's lives on the day of Pentecost. Because you remember that in Ezekiel uh, chapter 36, God had said, I will give them a new heart and I will help them to know the law in their heart. So I think it's incredible, isn't it, that on a day when they actually gave thanks for the Ten Commandments and the law being given at Mount Sinai, here on this day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and fulfills this prophecy that he would, uh, God would put the law in their hearts and no longer would they have to, uh, you know, be, be those that would have to live it slavishly, but the Holy Spirit would come and help them to live it. And agriculturally as well, I think there's huge significance here because they were bringing the first fruits of the harvest uh, the, uh, after, the, uh, after all their uh, work, they're bringing the first fruits. And after the Holy Spirit came upon the people and Peter stood up, he gave this message and an incredible message by the power of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people responded. And these were the first fruits of those who would make up the church. So on the day of Pentecost, when people bought the first fruits, the loaves, was a day when Peter stood up and preached in the church, the first of those who were the firstborn Remember, we talked about this this morning, raised from the dead. Firstborn in all the resurrection would happen on that same day. I think that's incredible. Isn't God amazing? Comes in into a time where there's historical significance and agricultural significance and weaves all this meaning underlying the events of Pentecost. So what does the Bible actually say they were doing on the day of Pentecost? Well, it says here that the believers were all together in one place. And you remember a couple of weeks ago how we looked at the first chapter and we realised that in between the time of Jesus' uh, resurrection and the time when he ascended, this 40-day period, they had to learn a whole lot of new things. Remember we, we said that, that Jesus had to give them a, a new understanding, that he wasn't going to be with them in per- person anymore, that he was going to uh, be with them in, in spirit. Remember he had to give them, he wanted to give them a new power. And the promise for followers of Jesus was that, hey, the Holy Spirit is coming soon, Jesus said. Wait until you receive this gift. And then they, he gave them a new purpose. Remember, he said that they would go and be witnesses um, to the ends of the earth, right around where they were and to the ends of the earth. And last week, Gail shared that they were all together in prayer. They were gathered all together in prayer and they were praying and they were crying out continually for 10 days. And God called this the most incredible prayer meeting in history. And then 
on the 50th, the day of Pentecost. They were all praying together. Their hearts were just full of expectation, waiting for the promises to be fulfilled. They were longing for the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. When the passage says in verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. It came suddenly, the text says. It came quickly. I don't think they really had quite the words to describe what was happening. You notice here in the passage that it says it was like the sound of the blowing of a violent wind. We don't know whether there was actually wind in the place happening. But boy, it sounded like a blowing mighty wind rushing through that place, coming right into where they were. They heard with their ears this sound. I wonder what that might mean. I wonder what it might mean to have heard this violent wind, this rushing wind. Why might Luke actually choose those words to describe what was happening here right at that moment? Well, we know that often in Scripture, the, uh, God's Spirit is referred to as wind. It might be helpful for us tonight just to flip over quickly to Ezekiel uh, chapter 37. Ezekiel 37. And in verses 1 to 18, you'll remember that right uh, in this passage is the valley, uh, the valley of dry bones. And you'll remember that the prophet is uh, standing before this valley of, of dead, dry bones. And as we look at that, we see what God says in verse 4. Then he said to me, um, I said to, first he says, I said to the sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord said to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. And I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared and on them, uh, on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So Ezekiel says, I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life and they stood up on their feet, a vast army. The Lord says, come 
Come, O breath. Come, winds from the four winds. Breathe in the breath of God, the breath of his spirit at work. The breath of God comes in wind and breathes life into these bones. And they, they come to life. And here on Pentecost, on this day, they heard the sound of a rushing wind just like then. And here in Pentecost, this wind is used to explain the presence of God's Spirit, God's Spirit coming. Acts 3 and verse 8 says the wind, uh, Acts John, uh, sorry, John chapter 3 and verse 8 says, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from and where it goes. And then the text says, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Here's Jesus talking about wind and the Spirit. He's actually identifying wind and Spirit as being one and the same in that verse. It's interesting, you know, when you look at the Greek of the, the words for wind and Spirit, and they're identical. The word in the Greek, pneuma, Spirit is the same as wind, pneuma. So they're both identical. And, you know, in John, it says the wind goes where it pleases. You hear the sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it goes. And what Jesus is saying there is that the Holy Spirit is sovereign, that the Spirit is sovereign. And when we give our lives over to the Holy Spirit, sometimes he calls us to do things that we would never otherwise have done. Who would give up a home and security and go and live over the far side of the earth? It seems madness. But when the breath of God, when the Holy Spirit comes and speaks to us, guides us, we do things that we would never otherwise do as we allow him to sovereignly lead us. Sometimes he leads us to have faith, to trust in him and believe in his word, even in the midst of the darkest valleys. Sometimes his spirit empowers us to share our faith in Jesus, even though normally that would be something that's so fearful for us. He empowers us to do it. You'll be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes. Sometimes the Holy Spirit empowers us to forgive people that we would never normally forgive because the Holy Spirit wants to have it this way and he will have his sovereign reign in our lives. The more you allow the Holy Spirit in all his sovereignty to be in you continually, filling you, you'll find that he causes you to do things that you would never do in your own strength. That's why I think many people find it quite scary uh, to allow the Holy Spirit continually to fill them because it, it may be dangerous. You surrender to his will. You surrender to his leading. It's much safer to keep him at a distance and do your own thing. 
The wind blows where it pleases. The Spirit of God is sovereign. So sometimes as churches, as Christians, we can be tempted to put the Holy Spirit into a box and we can say, don't touch the rest of my life because that's too dangerous. Sometimes we can say, uh, we can actually grieve the Spirit by uh, trying to just dictate how God will work in our lives. We put him in a safe place. We, you know, we have our religion and our Christianity, but we won't submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit. The wind blows wherever it's, it, it likes. It's what Jesus says. They heard the sound of a violent, rushing wind which came through where they were. The wind represents the power of God and power of the Holy Spirit. Not only was there the sound of the rushing wind, the violent wind in that place, but look what else happened in verse 3 of Acts chapter 2. It says, They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. You know, I, I, again, I don't think they actually could find exactly the right words to explain what was going on. I don't think, I think Luke was struggling to explain what happened there. Who could understand what that means? Tongues of fire. Anyone seen tongues of fire lately? Uh, maybe it's got to do with the next few verses. When people began to speak in tongues, in different languages that were identifiable. Uh, they used these words to describe what was happening, but they seemed to see something that looked like fire and looked like tongues. And they came and they separated on each person. So not only was there the sound of the wind of the Spirit, but it actually started to fill the people and fall on each believer individually. I wonder what fire means. I wonder what that means. What does fire refer to? Well, uh, I think through the Bible, fire was used to speak of the divine presence of God. You see that in Exodus chapter 3 at Mount Sinai. It was also associated with uh, judgment in Matthew 3 and verse 12. A fire that comes and burns and judges those of sin and, and, and convicts people. Luke in Acts chapter 2 and verse 3 speaks of fire and I think it shows that God's presence was there, his cleansing presence, his judging presence, his refining fire, presence of God that could only be described as Luke saw it as tongues of fire coming down and filling the people. John had uh, prophesied that Jesus would baptise his own with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So they heard the wind, they saw the tongues of fire descend on the people. And then in verse 4 it says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So not only did they, uh, they actually heard something, uh, 
they not only did they see something, but they actually came out in different languages. Now, now this is not the gift of speaking in tongues, which is talked about in uh, 1 Corinthians. I believe these were audible tongues uh, where people were speaking in languages as God enabled them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think what was happening at this time was that people began to speak in language that, that they had never, ever learned before. This was a miracle that was taking place. This was an incredible, an incredible sign that God, uh, the risen Christ, was now coming to live in the lives of his people by the power of his Holy Spirit. And the sound of the wind must have been blowing so loud that people came from all around to hear what was going on. And they started to wonder what the noise was. And then because there were so many people from the city around, from all different places and different countries that had come to hear what was happening, the next verse in verse 5 says, Now they, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderness because each, of, each one heard them speaking in his own language, utterly amazed. They asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? You know, Galileans were um, kind of famous for being uneducated. They were kind of ruffians or, I don't know, maybe call them rednecks or something. Uh, they didn't speak well. Well, you know, um, they spoke really in an uneducated way. You know, they didn't use those guttrals. You know how... I can't even use them myself, so maybe I'm a Galilean. But you know how some people will say, Arriba, you know, and roll the tongue? These guys were known that they couldn't do that at all. And so what happens uh, for these people is uneloquent. Uh, they were uneducated. But yet here they were on the day of Pentecost speaking clearly in, in a different language, in the language of different people, and the listeners were hearing them as clear as a bell. People that had come from everywhere. You know, we can't literally take, uh, take literally what Luke says, that people came from every nation under heaven because obviously there were no Aborigines from Australia. Uh, there in the text. Don't mention them. But what we can say is that from what the writer had in mind, what he understood as the whole world at that time, uh, people came from all over the world, that he knew it. And people could hear them speaking and they were amazed. They were perplexed. They were bewildered. And they said, you know, what's happening here? What's going on? This is a miracle. It's incredible. And I wonder what these tongues, people who were speaking in these tongues were saying. Were they preaching, I wonder? Were they uh, trying to explain or bring about conversion in people's lives? No, they, they were actually praising God. Look what the text says in uh, Acts 2 and verse 11. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And understandably, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what was happening. And the text says in verse 12 that they were amazed and perplexed and they asked one another, what does this mean? And tonight, you know, it's good for us together to ask what this, this could mean for us, for you and me. What would God, at a time when he comes afresh in the person of the Holy Spirit, 
come with wind and with tongues of fire and then different languages. Well, I think that he wanted us to know that the power of the Holy Spirit was coming, was here, the wind, the power. He wanted to know that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the fire, burning, refining fire, our sin is dealt with and we're forgiven. I think that the final thing uh, was that these different tongues that I, I think was clearly showing to the whole world at Pentecost that what was happening here in God pouring out his spirit was not just for one people group. It was just not for one select group of people like the Jews. But what God was doing was for anyone, for any language, for any people group, the whole world could come to know Jesus and be filled with his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is for everybody who will believe and receive. I think that goes whether you're a Greek or whether you're a Jew, whether you're an Aussie, whether you're Japanese or Croatian or even whether you're a Brazilian on a night like tonight. We're playing Brazil in the the World Cup, you'll know, early this morning. But all around, God was saying the Holy Spirit is for everybody, poured out for all people. And to those who believe in Christ, he's available. It's amazing that there are always people that get really worried when we start to talk about the Holy Spirit. Because often it means that we allow ourselves to be led by him and it's scary. I think what happened here uh, was there were people that were saying, these guys must be drunk. Look what's going on. And people looked on them on that day and said, you know, what an amazing thing. What's going on in these guys? We want to know what's happening. And others scoffed and mocked and said, hey, they must be drunk, they're acting. And it strikes me there that there were some people there that were interested and wanted to find out more and others just thought they were crazy and walked away. I wonder how this passage applies to us. What does Pentecost overall mean for us today, tonight at Wodonga District Baptist Church? The day when God poured out his Holy Spirit in believers for the very first time. Well, you and I know that the Holy Spirit is eternal. He was there at creation. He's the third part of the Trinity. He didn't just come on the day of Pentecost. But he came in a fresh and new way into the lives of believers. The death on the cross, the resurrection of Christ, his ascension, and this was the promised gift. So how does that apply to us? Well, I think that it's clear that this was the last work of the risen Christ. Uh, Coming to us in the power of the Holy Spirit meant that he would no longer be there in his person, but he would now be carrying out his purposes in a new way, the power of the Holy Spirit. Coming in us until he comes again at the second coming. We live now in a time when the Holy Spirit is in us and empowers us to live our lives 
daily for him. And you know what? Um, Pentecost, I think it, it falls into things like the birth of Christ. Now, it happened once. We're not praying for another birth of Christ, are we? Like we never pray for things like that. The death of Christ happened once in history. And we don't pray now for uh, the, uh, Jesus to be crucified again. And I think it's just like the resurrection, the ascension. I don't think we need to pray today for another Pentecost because it happened once. The Holy Spirit came and dwelled in believers. So we don't need to be crying out saying, God, give us another Pentecost. Repeat that event because it was a once-off. You know why we don't need to do that? Because the Holy Spirit's already come. Whoever calls upon the Lord will be saved. The Holy Spirit comes in and lives in you completely. He's there. He's in your life if you trust in Jesus. The Holy Spirit has baptised you at the time you became a Christian and he lives in you. So we don't need to ask for another Pentecost. But do you know what I think? I think one of the sad things is that we pull back from asking God more for more and more of his spirit in our lives. As Christians, I think we do this because we're scared of letting go. And yet Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the sense of the word in there is, is keep on being filled. It's a present command. Not just pray once, but, but keep being filled the Holy Spirit every day. It's an ongoing thing. Live your life daily crying out to God for more and more of his presence in your life. He's already there fully. But pray that you will be made more and more aware of his presence in your life, that you would enable him to have sovereignty, to have the authority that he wants. One of the things that happened... um, perhaps maybe 30 or 40 years ago, is the charismatic movement swept right through churches. And, you know, in Baptist churches, I think it kind of caused a lot of hurt and division. And now what happens, I find sometimes, is when we talk about the Holy Spirit, a lot of people have those hurts coming back from a long time ago. I think one of the real sad things that can happen is that we can throw the baby out with the bath water. I think because of what happened a while ago, we can think we just don't want to go there anymore. We avoid the Holy Spirit's power sometimes at all costs. You know, I don't think we should go down a road that's divisive and where people think they're more spiritual than other people. But what we do... Uh, when we live our lives empowered by the Holy Spirit are things that are supernatural through his power. We love in ways we've never loved before. We forgive people we would never normally forgive. We understand sin because the Holy Spirit uh, convicts us of sin. We, we weep because of our sin. We find that God speaks to us through his Holy Spirit and we say yes when we might normally just play it really safe. We step out in faith 
bravely in ways we never would before. The Holy Spirit reveals to us the truth that Christ is risen and empowers us to be his witnesses. My question tonight is, why wouldn't we ask for God to fill us afresh with the power of his Holy Spirit? Why wouldn't we pray for more and more of his presence in our lives? I think sometimes people from outside look on the church and they think that we're just like an organisation like every other. They think we define ourselves by rules and by laws. By what we don't do rather than by what we do. And not for us, church. Not for us. I think God is longing for a church like ours to be a place where Christians like you and me say, rushing wind, come and blow through this temple, through me, through this church. Sanctify my life within. Come and breathe your breath upon me. I've been born again. If that's your prayer tonight, maybe now you might just say, God, Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Fill me afresh. Live in me by your power. Help me have the strength to be your witnesses, your witness uh, this week, tomorrow, for the rest of my life. Rushing wind blow through this temple. May that be our prayer as um, I sing this now.
Let's pray. Uh, Holy Spirit, we, we cry out. We cry out that you will fill us. Even right now, we pray, Lord Jesus, that your spirit would just fill each one of us afresh right now. Father God, we long to live for you. We give us our lives to you afresh. We come before you and submit our lives to you. And say, have your way and fill us afresh. That we may live to the praise of your glory. Amen. Um, in your bulletin, you would have uh, there is a blue response card, um, and I just, it's an opportunity to uh, communicate, um, you know, to respond. Uh, so if you're uh, new here. Um, you know, you've just come for the first time or you haven't filled out one of those before, it's especially good uh, for you to, um, to write your name on that and just let us know that you're here so that we might make contact with you and say good day and, and, um, and uh, yeah, support you as much as you want to be supported. Uh, and for the regulars as well, it's great for you to fill these out and let us know how you're tracking and um, if you want to make encouragement, uh, write some encouragement or ask questions or, um, or whatever, just opportunities just to fill in the cards. We'll give you a couple of moments. <clears throat>